So I'm just so glad to be here. I've been looking forward to it, and you have a wonderful church here. When I drove this morning onto the campus, I thought I was driving into Central Park. Everything was blooming and beautiful, and then I came in, and everybody is so friendly, and service, and service, and if I lived here in Memphis, I would be here every Sunday. It's a little far for me to drive from Nashville, but I'm thinking about it. But thank you so much, and the exuberance in this room and in this service is so tremendous. Thank you very much. And I appreciate the bookstore serving as sort of this is a special day for me because it's like the world debut of this book, which isn't even on sale yet. It goes on sale uh, on April the 4th, Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. But they not only have it here, but they have it discounted. And uh, it's available today by special permission of our publisher. And that's really what I want to speak about because I feel a certain passion about the importance of allowing the Lord to break those chains in our minds and in our lives through the power of Scripture. And I want to talk about that today, beginning with the book of Romans and chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter number 12. There are a number of passages I want to look at or refer to or quote for you, but we're going to begin here with the book of Romans, which is the fifth book of the New Testament, and it's the great intellectual book or theological book of the Bible. And chapters 1 through 11 talk about what Christ has done for us. And beginning in chapter 12, it talks about what we should do for Him. So chapters 12 through 16 are very practical about the kind of daily living that should be a part of our experience. So chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's the key phrase for us today. The Lord wants to transform you. You need your personality transformed or improved, or your family, or your church, or your situation or circumstances in life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. I was introduced to the whole subject of biblical meditation, first of all, in a negative way and then in a positive way. I was 18 years old. Back in 1970, I was sort of a confused teenager, just graduated from high school, and I didn't know where to go to college. But there was a college near my home in northeast Tennessee, and it was a small, secular college, very good college intellectually and academically. And so I enrolled there for my freshman year. I was never particularly happy there, but then I was never particularly happy at that particular time in life. But one day, a tremendous buzz went across town and across the campus, and posters went up everywhere, and there was an announcement that the Maharishi Mihash Yogi was coming to our campus to do a seminar on transcendental meditation. So we all went to it, and here was this swarmy, and he looked sort of 
Odd, this was back in 1970, long hair and a robe and uh, a large man, and he sat there, and he taught us how to relax our muscles, how to breathe deeply, and how to empty our minds so that we could become transcendentalists. And I knew even as an 18-year-old, there's nothing wrong with deep breathing. We need to do that more, or with relaxing your muscles. But it seemed to me that emptying your mind was exactly the opposite of what meditation was by the very nature of the definition of that word meditation. And so as I told people later, I didn't fall into Zen. Well, the next year, I transferred to another college, Columbia International University, and this is where I really gave my life as fully as I knew how to the Lord. And there were some guys in the dormitory, upperclassmen, who began mentoring me and teaching me. And some of them had been discipled and mentored themselves using material by a group called the Navigators, and they stressed scriptural memory and meditation, and they had what they call the hand illustration. I don't know if you've seen it, but how do you get a grip on the Word of God? The Lord wants to get a grip on you, but in order for the Lord to get a grip on you, you've got to get a grip on His Word. Well, it takes five fingers, four fingers and a thumb, and these five fingers represent, number one, hearing the Word of God, and secondly, reading it, thirdly, studying it, and fourthly, memorizing it. And those are very important to hear the Word of God. That's why we come to church or go to Bible studies or life groups or small groups. And then to read the Bible every day and to study it is just a daily part of our schedule as disciples and followers of Christ. I hope and I want to urge you to have a time every morning when you just spend time in the Scripture and allow the Lord to speak to you. And so we study it and then memorize it. I'm a great advocate for Scripture memory. I think that in order to get the Word of God installed in our brains, we just take it a phrase at a time, and we begin finding a verse that speaks to us, and we read it until we just know it by heart. And anybody can do this. I wrote a book some years ago called 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart. And so my son-in-law has a grandfather who is 95 years old, a World War II veteran, and at that age, he went through my book and memorized all 100 verses. And he said it kept his mind young. And at the same time, I'm trying to teach my four-year-old grandson to memorize Scripture verses. So whatever our age, from four to 95, we can memorize Scripture. And so these are very important habits. If I were to ask you today, are you working on a Scripture memory verse? Would you have one? But that's only five, four fingers, and you can't hold anything without your thumb, at least not very easily. The thumb, my mentors told me, represented meditation. And meditation is that process by which we ponder and picture and personalize and practice the Bible verses that we are learning. It's that process by which we ponder and picture and personalize and practice the specific verses that God brings to our attention. And there is something about this that is very healing to our minds. Now, our minds are a mess nowadays. We're living in a world which is all messed up, and so many of our problems 
have to do with the way that our brains are thinking. And so temptation comes to us via our thoughts. Every temptation you'll ever face comes through your mental systems, through your thoughts, and anxiety comes through our minds, and depression comes through our minds, and discouragement is a matter of our thought life. And we live in a world that isn't thinking clearly, it isn't thinking correctly, and it spills over into our minds. And when we learn to meditate, there is something about biblical meditation, I'm telling you, there is something about it that rewires your minds. It's therapy for the mind. It's like the master electrician is rewiring the circuit board of your mind as you learn to meditate on Scripture. So I want to say three simple things about biblical meditation today. First of all, there's a marvelous promise connected with it, and we have this promise given to us three times in the Bible. The first time is in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Now, the book of Joshua is the instructions and what happened as a result of those instructions that took place in Joshua's life after the death of Moses. So, if you study the uh, first chapters of the Bible and the first books of the Bible, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and Moses wrote those, and we believe that he wrote them in order to give us the story of how God took a man, Abraham, and made of him a great nation. This nation became enslaved, and then Moses, the lawgiver, came and delivered the Israelites away from the iron furnace of Pharaoh's Egypt, took them through the Red Sea into the wilderness, and then gave them a series of sermons we call Deuteronomy, and then Moses died. And Joshua was raised up as the successor to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And Joshua was intimidated by this task. So the Lord spoke to him in chapter 1 and said to him, Be strong and courageous, gave him some instructions. And down in verse 8, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord said, This book of the law referring to the only scriptures that were available then, these first five books that Moses wrote, this book of the law shall not depart out of your minds or out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night so that you will observe to do according to everything that is written in it for then. You will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. So we might have thought that the Lord would give Joshua some military advice or a battle strategy for conquering the promised land, but instead he told him that the key to victory, the key to success, and to being prosperous in what he did was simply to take this book, as much of it as he had, and to meditate on it day and night. And then he said, you'll be successful. You'll have prosperity. Now, a number of years after that, hundreds of years after that, I can't prove this, but it's my theory. I think there was a boy who memorized that verse, and he put it into practice by meditating on this verse about meditation. And he pondered it, and he pictured it and personalized it, and in his mind he saw it as a thriving grove of trees, just fruitful and abundant. And out of his meditation on Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, he wrote his own poem about it, which we call Psalm 1. And it says, Blessed are the ones who do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight 
is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, they meditate day and night. The same phraseology. They will be like trees planted by rivers of water that bring forth their fruit in season. Their leaves also shall not wither, and whatever they do shall prosper. The same promise here about meditating day and night on these words of Scripture. And then I think we have the same promise given to us at the end of the Bible in James chapter 1 verse 25 when it says, don't just be a listener of the Word, but do what it says. And he says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives liberty, and not forgetting what he has said, but doing it, that person will be blessed at whatever he does. So the word here, look intently, in the original Greek in which James wrote, is the same word that the gospel writers used to describe how Peter went into that empty tomb of Christ and looked intently at everything in there. And the idea is that we go into this book, we look at it intently, we think about it, we study it, we meditate on it, and the promise is that as we do that, God will give us successful lives. I mean, this is a promise that is at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end of Scripture. You will make your way prosperous. You will have good success. Now, of course, we have to say that from God's perspective, success isn't necessarily what our world defines as success. It isn't necessarily wealth and health and prosperity and fame and fortune. Success, I think, from God's perspective, is fulfilling the plan that He has for you individually. It says in Psalm 139 and verse 16, I saw you before you were born and scheduled each day of your life before you began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. And so I think that from God's perspective, success simply means that we grow into the wonderful plan that He has for your life. God has a plan for your life. It's a wonderful plan and a fulfilling plan and a satisfying plan, and it's an eternal plan. And in order to fulfill that plan, it is requiring upon us, it is incumbent upon us that we learn to meditate day and night on His book. That's the marvelous promise. Now, let me talk about the mental process that brings all of this about. What is it about biblical meditation that brings us to a place of success and fulfillment in life? Well, the way that I like to explain it is that there are two stratas of wisdom. I mean, the Bible says this in James chapter 3. It talks about the wisdom that is above and the wisdom that is below. God looks at things from a particular perspective. He is, the word that we sometimes use is omniscient all-knowing. God knows every fact and factoid about every single thing. He knows it perfectly. He knows it totally. He knows it infinitely and eternally. So God has full and complete knowledge of everything, so He looks at everything accurately. But then, down here on this earth, we look at things, and very often our perspective, our view of things is distorted. 
Have you ever been to the carnival and you walk through one of these houses that has all of the mirrors that are distorted and the maze of things you have to go through and everything is off a little bit? That's the way the world thinks, and it seeps into our thinking. And so our thinking is, the Bible says it's corrupt, it's depraved. The Bible says that every thought of the imaginations of our heart is only evil continually apart from grace. And so our thinking is warped. So what we need to do is begin thinking increasingly the way God thinks, looking at things from His perspective, looking at life events the way that He does, looking at your challenges the way that He does, looking at your school or your work or your family or your disappointments or your tragedies, looking at everything more the way He does. As we look at things the way that He does, then it makes all the difference in our perspective, and we begin to gain wisdom because wisdom is looking at life from God's point of view. So if we're thinking of things down here, and God is thinking of things up here, how do we get our thoughts up to where He is? And the truth is, He has sent His thoughts down to where we are in this book. So this is what it says in Isaiah chapter 55. The Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the Heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and returns not thither, but it waters the earth, and brings forth food for the eater and seed for the sower, so my word is, it comes down from above, and we're to soak it in like a field soaks in rain. And as that happens, the passage goes on to say that we'll have joy in our lives and we'll skip across the hills. We will begin to see things from God's perspective. And the book of Colossians says the same thing in chapter 3. It says, fix your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. So the very simple thing about meditation is that as you take this book, which is infallible and inspired and represents the thoughts of God, and this book has come down through the process of inspiration. It's available. It's small enough to hold in your hand. It's big enough to study a lifetime. It's rich enough to satisfy you forever. And you learn to read it and study it, and you memorize it, maybe some of it, and you meditate on it. Then God is using His Word through the process of biblical meditation to rewire your mind. And his words begin circulating through your thoughts like water through a fountain or like oil through a machine. And gradually, you stop thinking so much the way the world is. You begin thinking increasingly the way that God does. And he thinks wise thoughts that are successful. And that's what it is that makes your way prosperous and gives you good success. It is allowing your mind to be God-conditioned through the process of biblical meditation. And I think the world and the Eastern mystics have kidnapped meditation, but it was God's idea to begin with, and it's time for us to take it back. I read about a woman. Well, actually, I talked to her. We were at a banquet together. She was beside me at the table. She said, what are you working on now? And I said, well, I'm working on a book about biblical meditation. 
She said, well, let me tell you what it means to me. She said, when I was 11 years old, there was a man who came to our church, and he was a Bible teacher, and he sold his lectures and everything on, this was back in the day, big reel-to-reel tape recorders. And she said, we bought some of them, and I just love that tape machine, and I learned to use it, and I listened to those lectures over and over again, and he largely just quoted Scripture, and so without realizing it, I memorized a lot of Bible verses just listening to those tapes over and over again, and I was 11. She said, years later, when I was a young adult, I went through a very difficult emotional trauma and it just about took me under. But I began walking every day along the river, and it's as though I flipped that switch, and those Bible verses that I'd learned years before, they just, they came into my mind. I recalled them. I thought about them. I pondered them, and every day I would just meditate on those verses. And she said, that healed my mind. It was the best therapy in the world. And she said, that's how I learned the power of biblical meditation. Well, that's the process. So, let me give you now a manageable plan. We have a marvelous promise, a mental process, but there is just a very manageable plan for meditating. And I'll give it to you the way that my friend Gary Mathena told me. Gary is a professor at Liberty University. He said, my dad, Harold Mathena, when he was a young man, he just really loved a great old African-American preacher by the name of Manuel Scott. And he said, one day he had breakfast with Dr. Scott. And he said, Dr. Scott, you are such a powerful man, both personally and in the pulpit, and your personality and your graciousness and your godliness and the impact of your life and I want to ask you one question. How can I become a spiritual person? Dr. Scott looked back at him and said, well, Harold, he said, it's very simple. When you wake up every morning, just open your Bible and spend some time reading it and studying it and find some passage or verse or phrase to take into the day with you. And think about that passage all day long. And through the morning, think about it. And at lunchtime, just think about it and recall it. And through the afternoon and evening. And when you go to bed at night, go to sleep thinking about that verse. And if you do that, he said, long enough, one morning you'll just wake up and you'll be spiritual. And you know, it's just about as simple as that. I have all kinds of issues that I deal with. I mean, I'm frequently fatigued, and I battle anxiety. I have a little anxiety disorder. I battle all the time, and my wife is disabled. I'm a caregiver for her. If I didn't have Scripture verses that I was quoting all the time, I don't know what I would do. You know, I'll give you a couple of them that mean a lot to me. That might be a good place for you to start. But Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's meditation. 
Thou will keep him in perfect peace, I learned it in the old translations, whose mind is stayed on thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah there is everlasting strength. And then, of course, there's the 23rd Psalm. I don't know if people are teaching their children the 23rd Psalm anymore, but it's only six verses, and you can learn it. And I learned it in the second grade, and when I was in college, I learned it in the old Living Bible, and I love that Living Bible. It says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in meadows green, and he leads me beside the quiet stream. He keeps on giving life to me, and he helps me to do what honors him the most. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for he is close beside me, guarding, guiding all the way. He spreads a feast before me. In the presence of mine enemies, he welcomes me as his special guest. With blessings overflowing, his goodness and unfailing kindness will be with me all of my days, and afterwards I will dwell with him forever in his house. Now, you go to sleep meditating on that, or you begin learning that just a phrase at a time and keeping it with you all day long. And it will do something in your mind. You're having trouble with pornography. You're having trouble with anxiety. You're having trouble with bad thoughts. You're having trouble with bitterness. It's the power of the washing of the water of Scripture that is healing and cleansing to our mental systems because of the power of the inspired Scripture. Or if you're prone like I am sometimes to discouragement or depression, well, just learn Psalm 100. It's very short but very happy. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Sometimes if I'm traveling, then I remember Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade upon your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will preserve your soul. He will keep you from all evil. The Lord will preserve your coming out and your going forth from this time forth and forever. Now, you just get those verses into your mind or print them out or put them on the screensaver of your phone and look at them and think about them all through the day. And it has a therapeutic effect on you because as you meditate on it, you are beginning increasingly to think the way the Lord does. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus said, John 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Recently, I've been working on learning Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is of good report and excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, meditate on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So you get some of these scriptures into your mind, and you let them begin circulating through your thoughts. You recall them. You bring them to mind. You train your mind to think about them when you're in the shower, when you're driving a car, when you're exercising, when you're walking along the river or along the greenways. You think about them when you go to sleep. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you train your mind just instantly to begin quoting Scriptures, and it will have an effect on you that is beyond description because God will rewire your brains, He will heal your thoughts, He will cleanse you, and He will begin imparting into your personality the wisdom that reflects His perspective about life. And as that happens, you will be reclaiming the lost art of biblical meditation. So, to come full circle, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service in the light of what He has done for you. And don't let this world push you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I also want to give you an invitation. It may be that you're here and you don't know if you were to die today what your eternal destination would be when you stand before God, if you would go to heaven or hell. You aren't sure you have ever actually received Christ as your Savior. And He died for you. He shed His blood and rose from the dead on the third day. We've sang about that. He did it to break our chains and to set us free and to give us a new kind of abundant life. And so if you would like to make a decision to follow Him, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, to say, I'm going to follow Christ. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. I'm going to follow Him with all of my heart starting today. I've decided to follow Jesus. Then as soon as we're dismissed here, there'll be a prayer team here in front of this stage. And as everybody else leaves, you just come this way, and someone will be here. They will be glad to pray with you, to give you information, to counsel with you, to enable you and help you and stand by you as you make a significant decision in your life. Or if you'd like more information, they'll be glad to talk to you. Or if you have a burden and you just need someone to pray with you today, then they're going to be here just for you. And don't hesitate. Don't be shy about it. You just come down and say, I want to talk to somebody. I need someone to pray with me, and they will help you. And dear Lord, I pray for anyone here 
who needs the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, that they will find him today. And I pray, Lord, for those who are here who need to grow in their Christian life, to be transformed by the renewing of their minds, that today they will commit to taking that next step on learning, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on your word. And help us, Father, to start a movement from this church here today to reclaim for Christ and for ourselves the lost art of biblical meditation and bless us as we do so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.